Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Good to have you aboard. Let's get to it. What we're going to try to do this week is get a little philosophical, you know? Hopefully not too overwhelmingly philosophical, but at least a little bit philosophical. Uh, If you were at church last Sunday, or you watched it on the live stream, you'll know that Mark preached on the story of the fall of Jericho recorded in Joshua 6. It's another one of those remarkable stories, one of those miraculous stories. God doing this incredible miracle on behalf of his people. Just like the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And it got me thinking. Miracles. You know, miracles can be tough for Christians, for people who hold to the truthfulness of the Bible. If you're a Christian, it means that you necessarily believe that the miracles described in the Bible, everything from the walls of Jericho falling down to the virgin birth to Jesus turning water into wine or walking on water, and especially the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection, you believe that they are actually true. But you know, these stories, they run against modern sensibilities. Modern people have a hard time believing that miracles are possible. So when they come to the miracles of the Bible, they simply say, ah, those are myths, those are fables. We're not supposed to take that stuff literally. I actually remember having a few years ago a conversation with my neighbor, a sweet lady who grew up in the Anglican Church of Canada, and we were discussing why the church in Western culture was in such decline. You know, fewer and fewer people were actually attending worship services or calling themselves religious. And we were talking about why that is. And her opinion was that the problem lay with people taking the Bible too literally, especially the miracles. She told me about how she used to teach Sunday school in the 1970s, and she couldn't believe that she was being asked to teach the story of Jonah and the fish as if it really happened. She thought we should get rid of those fables so that Christianity would be more relevant to modern secular people. Where does this bias against miracles come from? I mean, for centuries, people had no problem believing in miracles, but now they certainly do. Why? Where'd that come from? Well, the main source of this skepticism is from the 18th century philosopher David Hume. David Hume basically said that because a miracle would be a violation of the laws of nature, miracles are so highly improbable that you cannot have a justified belief that they could occur today or ever did occur. And this explanation resonates with many reasonable people today. It's not that miracles are impossible. That would require comprehensive knowledge of the universe, which we don't have, Rather, they would say that they are so incredibly unlikely that to believe in them is sheer foolishness. And, you know, we really shouldn't be too hard on people who struggle with the idea of miracles. In Matthew 28, right at the very end of the book of Matthew, we're told that the apostles met with the risen Jesus, okay? He's resurrected. And they meet him on a mountainside in Galilee. And it says in Matthew 28, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. How about that, eh? 
What a remarkable admission. The author of an early Christian document telling us that some of the founders of Christianity couldn't believe the miracle of the resurrection, even when they're looking straight at Jesus with their own eyes, touching him with their own hands. And, you know, this just proves that it's not only us modern people that have a problem with miracles, that struggle to believe in them. Ancient people did, too. Some believed, some didn't. But, you know, just because something is improbable doesn't make it impossible. That's the leap that people make without thinking about it. Remember, Hume said that miracles are necessarily a violation of the laws of nature. But all he means by that statement is that scientific inquiry, science, has discovered how reality works. That's what the laws of nature do. They describe how things work in the universe. And science is bound to look within the natural world, within the so-called laws of nature, to explain all phenomena that happens. But that actually creates a logical problem because it rules out, at the outset, the possibility of a god, a supernatural being, intervening in the events of history. Alvin Plantinga who's a brilliant Christian philosopher, most of what he says I, have, I don't understand at all. <laughs> um, but he uses a, a, an analogy, an, a metaphor, to help explain what's wrong with this. And that's very helpful for me. He said that this kind of thinking is a little bit like a drunk losing his car keys and insisting on looking for those car keys under the street lamp rather than in the dark because the light is better under the lamp. In fact, he says it's even worse. The drunk insists that because the keys would be hard to find in the dark, they must be under the street lamp. And what Planiga is trying to say, what I'm trying to say is this. To insist that science or the laws of physics prove that there can be no supernatural cause to extraordinary or miraculous events in the world is a philosophical statement. In fact, I'll, I'll go one step further. It's a statement of faith that cannot be proven through science or the laws of physics. In other words, you can't in one breath say that science only tests natural causes and then in the other breath say that this means that no supernatural cause exists. You're looking for your keys in the light and because you're looking for your keys in the light, you're saying the keys can't be somewhere in the dark. You get my meaning? But if you allow for the existence of God, I'm not even saying that he necessarily exists. I'm just saying that if you allow for his existence, that it's at least possible. And I think most people will at least concede that it is at least possible that God exists. Then you have to allow for the possibility of supernatural intervention in the universe. You have to allow for the possibility of miracles. And by the way, here's another problem with this kind of thinking. If you say that there is no supernatural, there is no God, and science is all there is in the physical world, you have to realize that you cannot believe in the laws of nature at all. You can't believe in the laws of physics. Philosophers of science are starting to admit this is the case. Because if there's no lawgiver, 
to establish the laws of nature, then you can't actually call them laws of nature because you can't say for certainty that they're binding in any way. All they are are descriptions of how things are, but they can't be depended on to predict what will always be the case. They are descriptions of current phenomena, but can't be relied on to predict future phenomena. In other words, anything can happen. And quantum physics has shown that in the last 30 years or so, that yeah, anything can happen on a certain scale anyway. But my point is simply to say that all of us are in the same boat, religious, non-religious, Christian, secular. We either believe in miracles or we don't believe in miracles, but we believe in that by faith. It's not that one side of the argument is rational and the other side is religious. We're all religious. And in fact, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about. There are times when the supernatural explanation of events actually makes more sense than a natural one in the world that we live in. Let me give one example, and it's from C.S. Lewis. He was a Greek scholar, as you know. Somewhere, he talks about how interesting is the difference between the Old Testament and the Greek historian named Herodotus, uh, and how they explained the great siege of Jerusalem by Sennacherib, Sennacherib, there we go, I got it finally, Sennacherib, the Assyrian general. So the Assyrian king and general Sennacherib went and surrounded Jerusalem with overwhelming force. And the Assyrian army outnumbered the people inside Jerusalem 10 to 1. But all we know for sure, according to historians, is that for some strange reason, the army was defeated and they ran home with their tails between their legs and nobody was sure why. Well, the Old Testament, in 2 Kings 19, verse 35, it tells us that the angels of God came down and slew men right in their camps. And the next day they got up and ran away. Herodotus, the famous Greek historian, tells us something different. He said that a horde of mice came and ate the bowstrings of the Assyrian army so that they lost their firepower. Now here's what C.S. Lewis says. Quote, when the Old Testament says that Sennacherib's invasion was stopped by angels, and Herodotus says it was stopped by a lot of mice who came and ate up all the bowstrings of the army, an open-minded person will be on the side of the angels. Unless you start by begging the question, that is, that there is no such thing as supernatural, you can't prove that, that's a faith proposition, etc. Unless you start by begging the question, there is nothing intrinsically unlikely in the existence of angels or in the action ascribed to them. But might mice just don't do these things. What he's saying is, if there is a God, what's more likely? That mice ate all the bowstrings of the Assyrian army, which as far as we know, is not something that mice do, or that angels came to the aids of God's people, which is something that angels, if they exist, most definitely would do. I could give you lots of other examples, but I'm going to stop there. Let me just finish this way. Sure, miracles are tough to believe. If they weren't, they wouldn't be miracles. But that doesn't make them impossible or even irrational. In a universe that allows for the supernatural, sometimes 
They actually make the best sense of the world as we know it. So keep believing, friends. Keep believing. That's it for this week. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.